Welcome to Nathan's School of Thought. I'm Nathan Walker, Global Performance Coach, here to share principles gleaned from decades of teaching, training, and coaching on four continents. Whether you're a senior executive, salesperson, new parent, military leader, artist, musician, head of a nonprofit, or a student, it doesn't matter who you are, only who you can become. Join me each week to have your brain flipped upside down as we move together toward a happier, healthier, and much more productive life. Hello, my friends. When I was growing up, I lived in the foothills in Idaho. This was near the Boise Valley. And a lot of Idaho is very green and lush and beautiful. I think all of Idaho is beautiful, but in a different way. Where we lived, the hills were very dry. We had several hundred acres of ground that we would farm, and it was my job much of the time to drive the tractor or help feed horses or cows, etc. One day, I had a little break from driving the tractor. I decided to wander through the hills, barefoot, as I often did. I loved the feel of the dust between my toes. I loved the feel of the hard earth, then soft, then hard again, as I walked over areas that had been plowed and areas that had not. The hot ground, the hot grass, the hot sagebrush all had a very unique smell. To me, it was the smell of my childhood. It still is. On that hot summer day, as I was walking barefoot through the fields on the way back to the house, I suddenly saw something that really startled me. It was a kangaroo rat. Yes, for those of you who don't know, that's a real thing. It was a kangaroo rat. They're rats that look just like little furry kangaroos. Look them up on YouTube. They're fascinating to watch. They're so fast, and their jumps are so quick and so high that they can often avoid even a rattlesnake strike with a jump. Here, out of a little burrow, came a kangaroo rat, jumping and bounding in front of me, picking up speed when he saw that I was standing there, and then before I could really see where he went, he disappeared. I was elated to have seen him, and frustrated because I couldn't ever find him again. I went back several days in a row and never saw hide nor hair of that little kangaroo rat. Now, most anyone in that area wouldn't think that a kangaroo rat would even appear in that part of the world. But I know what I saw. I went back to the house and excitedly told my family about it. But why didn't they see what I saw? Why couldn't they picture that beautiful little furry, kind of brown, kind of gray, rat jumping along looking for all intents and purposes just like a tiny little furry kangaroo. Sometimes when people won't accept our stories or aren't involved in our stories or don't feel as deeply as we do about our stories, we can get a little bit defensive. Most of us have a need to feel heard. When we exert ourselves trying to convince someone that we wish to be heard, it can come across as needing to be right. Sometimes we actually do need to be right. The need to be valued and believed is tied to someone accepting our story. What complicates it even more is that very often we are picturing in our own minds 
that they are seeing what we are seeing, that our description will somehow paint such a vivid picture for them that what they see in their mind's eye is exactly what we see. We know then that they will agree with us, or support us, or laugh with us, or accept us, or tell the story to someone else because it's a great story. The only problem is, what's going on in your head is never the same as what's going on in theirs. This can be a huge frustration in business and at home. A husband and wife, for example, may say things quite differently and think they're on the same page, only to be shocked and dismayed when the other one says, I didn't know that, I thought you meant this. A manager will often give a stirring speech, or at least what he or she thought was a stirring speech, to a bunch of willing employees, the young Padawan who are anxious to learn at the master's knee, and will understand exactly what his plan is for their success as a department, and then go off and do ridiculous things while the manager wonders what's wrong with them. I told them what we were trying to accomplish. I told them how this was supposed to work. I explained very clearly what we were doing, and they're all screwing it up. Does that sound familiar at all? It's not that others are unwilling to accept our story most of the time, nor is it that they're stupid. It's just that we have different brains. Until we can do an actual Vulcan mind meld, no one is going to see what you see, whether or not it's a kangaroo rat. Sometimes needing to be right is needing to be right. Sometimes needing to be right is just wanting to be heard. Very often in conflict, someone, even a professional, may try to help by saying, well, you, you've got to understand that you do have a need to be right. To which the person will feel falsely accused and say, no, I don't. I just want to be heard. Sometimes our need to be right or our need to be heard are the same thing. It's a need to be heard from the mind of the person trying to explain something, and it comes across to the receiver as that person needing to be right. It can be the same words, the same sentence, the same phrase at the same time, sent out as a need to be heard, even with benevolent intentions, but received as the speaker needing to be right. Sometimes we wish to be heard because we want to be helpful. We might say to someone, actually, there's a better way to do that. Let me show you how. You may be trying to be helpful. They may hear it as you needing to be right, not willing to accept the way they like to do things. It may be that your way actually is the best. It's possible that you have ideas or areas of expertise that qualify you to do things better, more effectively, more efficiently, faster, or more safely than someone you're trying to help. That's real. Sometimes this feeling of conflict, this need to be right slash need to be heard, depending on which end you're on, shows up as contention. When this kind of interaction results in contention, it's often because one or the other, or both, feel weak, 
or somehow threatened by what one is saying. Needy contention almost always devolves into ignoring, ridiculing, holding grudges, or even hating the other. It's important to recognize that ignoring, ridiculing, holding grudges, or even hating can be applied to and aimed at oneself just as easily and truly as they are applied or aimed at others. So what do you do in a situation like that? What if you're the one being, we'll call it, falsely accused in air quotes? All you want to do is be helpful and be heard, and this person just takes it all the time as you having to be right. What if you're on the receiving end? Your manager, your spouse, your friend, your parent just won't let up. They keep telling you how to do everything. How are you supposed to handle that? Number one, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to anyone is to let them screw up. I know that sounds really weird, especially if you're a parent. If you can practice the art of intervening only when significant damage or harm would result, and otherwise letting them learn by doing, you're actually giving a gift. Don't take their learning away. Experience is a better teacher than you are, no matter your level of expertise or your desire to help. Letting them make a mess and then learn how to avoid it and clean it up is actually a gift. It's a great tool for parents, and it works in marriage and at work and anywhere else. I often feel frustrated if I'm in an area where I see someone doing it wrong, and it's a particular area of expertise for me. But I have learned from mostly sad experience that the best thing I can do is let them screw it up a little bit. Now, of course, I will make suggestions. I might say something like, I've had success by doing such and such. But I leave the decision to them. It's a difficult thing to practice, but it's worth doing. If it's going to destroy your life, burn down your house, get you hit by a car, or you know, drive you bankrupt, then step in. But if it's something small, just let it go. Let other people make decisions and be wrong. And then don't gloat. If they're wrong, you be the one that's there to say, you matter to me no matter what. Well, but I don't know how to do this. Yeah, that's okay. I don't know how to do everything either. But I love you. You matter to me more than the fact that, you know, you spilled bleach on the carpet. We'll get it taken care of. Let's go get something to eat. People matter more than things. And loving people enough to allow them to learn matters more than being right. If you're constantly on what you think is the receiving end, if you receive unsolicited advice from someone trying to do good or unsolicited criticism from someone trying to do evil, you can choose to have a thicker skin. What if it seems to you like everybody's always criticizing you and they all have to be right and you just have to grin and bear it? I might suggest that that's probably not actually what's happening. 
Often they have a picture in their minds that's different than yours, and they're just trying to be helpful. Sometimes they're being jerks, we know that, but often they're just trying to be helpful. If they're not trying to be helpful, but they insist on you hearing them out, it's usually because they really want to matter. They want to be recognized as having expertise. There are responses you can give that tend to lower the temperature. One might be something like, Thank you for that. I didn't realize that was even an option. Or, Oh, have you had success doing it that way? That's good to know. And just leave it at that. Or, Thank you, that's good to know. I might keep doing it this way for a minute because I have something in mind. The follow-up question may be, well, what do you have in mind? It's not as good as this. Then you say, thank you. That's good to know. I might keep doing this for a few minutes, if that's all right, because I have something in mind. Usually repeating it three times will get the point across. You can choose what you think about the person doing the talking. You can choose to think negative things based on what you perceive as negative behavior, and you may be right. You can choose to think positive things, even about a person exhibiting negative behavior toward you. You may be wrong, but you'll be positive. There is little good that can come from defensiveness, anger, refusal, dismissiveness, or trying to break the other person down to a lower level so that they see how it feels. Retaliation offers no satisfaction to anyone ever, for all of the talk about sweet revenge that doesn't exist. It's a unicorn. Don't pursue it. Now, if you find out that unicorns are real and kangaroo rats are not, I'll be really upset. Spend a little bit of time thinking about how you respond to unsolicited advice, how you respond to criticism, or especially how often you may take something as another's need to be right when in fact the motive is something else. It can be really helpful and restful for you. You'll no longer bear the burden of wondering if someone else is trying to diminish you just by needing to be heard, regardless of their motive. Most people are doing the best they can for what they've been given. They're just sort of wading through life, hoping not to drown, just like the rest of us. So, cut them as much slack as you can. The next time you feel inclined to devalue another's thinking, even in your own mind, remember, they may have just seen a kangaroo rat. As always, if you'd like some help with any of this, or wish to talk about it, go to natewalkercoaching.com and click the contact tab. I'd love to hear from you. Talk to you again soon.